0: Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more info on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So, Alex, what do you do? When your team is named after a big, scary animal, but your animal has been toothless for a lot of years.
1: You cheer this weekend for the first playoff victory in two decades. Three decades. Three decades.
0: Three decades? Three decades. That's almost as bad as the Bears' last Super Bowl being in 85. Yeah, but at least you have a Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't See, know if but, I would say you because I don't really care uh, that much sure. about the Bears.
1: Sure. You, you know what's funny is like I typically am not like a you, we, yeah, yeah, us, yeah. except like around the Lions. <laughs> it, I guess all Detroit sports. I'm like all of a sudden it's like it's not they haven't won, it's
0: we haven't Sure. Won. So. That's the Cubs for me. Yeah. That's the only team I really sure. say we for. I mean, I. I like it when Chicago sports do well, so I'm I'm all for the Bulls, I'm all for the Bears, I'm all for the Blackhawks, but there's never really anything to be cheering for in Chicago, so I don't do a lot of that. I enjoy sports, but I don't really care that much, but Chicago Cubs, man.
1: And, and my thing about the Lions is nobody hates the Lions. Everybody I talk to, they're like, you know, cuz they've team, been toothless. Right, right. Yeah. Every team has people that are like, "Oh, I can't stand that team or they're in a big rivalry." There's no rivalry with Detroit because we've never beat anyone. We've right. never like, you know, stolen a victory from someone or beat them in the finals or something like that. It's just like, "No, they always lose." Her so was like, "Oh, it's so great to see you guys. you're like the like the person who never gets anything. So it's like, oh, it's so great to see you finally doing something. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) But it all stops this year. Dan Campbell, we're going to bite some kneecaps.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. I I think the fact that it's the lions and the rams is very biblical. Like I think these two could, (laughs) they would come in contact with each other in the desert of Zin. The lion and the lamb. Yeah, you totally, there's something about it that I think, you know, watching these two go at it will be great. There there's a
1: complicated relationship between the city of Detroit and Matt Stafford because we oh, all yeah. we all yeah. knew he was good when he was in Detroit but he was on a bad team. So everybody always was like oh he's not that good, he's not that good. Well then he goes somewhere else and wins it and it, it was like vindication for Detroit. Like right. hey, we had a guy that was that good, well, the rest of the team just stunk. But now we play them and so everyone's all in Detroit. I have cheered for the Rams. I've cheered for Stafford, but now we play against him. And there's a guy in Detroit who, because of that complicated relationship, he is, he's like a wealthy realtor or something. You can bring him, he's setting up shop in like a sporting goods store, and you can bring him a Stafford jersey and he will swap it with you for free for any current Detroit Lions player. And then he's going to take all the Stafford jerseys and donate them to. Some charity or something, but I just I just That's looked great. at it. It's like it says like no t-shirts, nothing, no replica looks like a jersey, but it's not. If it is a jersey and you want to swap it, he's like any current player: Jared Goff, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs. You want any of them? I'll swap it out for you. Is Laporta gonna play? <sighs> I don't think so. That's too bad. I hope so, but I don't think so. Of course, I hope so, but I don't second guess um, Campbell's decision to play him. Last week. I, I sure th- I think that was the right decision. All this like, oh you gotta rest your guys. No, you, you still got football to play. Yeah. I'm looking it up
0: right now. And speaking of uh He did not practice today. Teams that you care deeply about, the Cowboys, right? That was that was just a great right, experience. Listen, right. De- Decker reported.
1: Let's just let's just get that recorded for everybody <laughs> that's, to hear.
0: That's partly for the podcast, partly for Jonathan if he listens yeah. to this podcast. So that's great. Uh, all right. <laughs> is that, this is what we came to talk about today, right? <laughs> no, I'm I just, I, I'm actually happy for you that the Lions have done well this year. Because nobody I do, hates the want, Lions. I do want them to win a playoff game, but the fact that you've now said it out loud and that this is going to go out right before the game starts means they're probably going to lose Sunday night. Oh, no, don't. Hey, it happens. Lord no. willing,
1: I will be back from districts in time to watch this game. So so, so all, all of our FAIR listeners out there, you are wonderful people. We are not recording this Sunday right after we preach the sermon. This is recorded in advance.
0: Uh, that's, this is like watching the sausage get made and you're like, oh, I did not realize that it was that disappointing. Yes, yeah. most of, it, of our life is actually this disappointing. <laughs> so with that said... We're not talking about the Lions. We are going to talk about L.A., though, uh, at least partly. And so that'll be a good segue in to where we're going to go. I have not seen the movie, uh, nor do I think I'm going to see the movie. But recently, Hollywood made a movie called Babylon. And it was a, it was a 1920s and 30s sort of uh, – I don't know how to put it. it it's almost like the – the, the backstory for where Hollywood came from and it is full of debauchery. It is full of, you know, the drugs and alcohol and satanic worship and things that are, have all been rumored to have been the start of the Hollywood scene. And I think most people don't even realize that, that there, there are stories, there are lore from back in the day, uh, just really disgusting terrible things that happened that sort of led to the beginning of our media empire okay. and the reason why i'm bringing all that up is is the word babylon is the name of the movie and part of the reason why it's why it's named that is because of this you know this archetypal idea that really comes from scripture that babylon is sort of the ultimate you know exposition or reference of bad bad things right And and so one of the things we wanted to talk about this week on the podcast is how bad really was Babylon. And so I think to go there, we need to just sort of back it up a little bit, you know, turn back the, you know, uh, Huey Lewis in the news. We're going to go back in time. (laughs) So we're going to turn the clock back. And I think what I want to try to do with you, Alex, here is try to paint a picture for people of what you know, 6th, 7th century B.C. Babylon might have been like. But with that said, it's going to be really hard to pull that off. But one of the – kind of the last caveat I'm going to put here before we sort of just launch into this concept is uh, there recently there was a podcast called The Fall of Rome, and you can still go listen to it. I think it's still live actually. But one of the things that he's done, and I think it's really genius, is he just finds random people and he creates characters that are real Uh, in his mind, but they're not real characters in real life. So he might say, like, here's a British, uh, you know, general of of Rome who now has retired to his little hamlet in yada, yada, yada. And he doesn't even realize that Hannibal is marching on Rome and about to tear it to shreds in 450 AD. But what ends up happening in the fall of Rome and the effect that it has on this man in Britain would be not, you know, like he can paint a picture without actually going into detail with real details because he doesn't know what really happened, but he can paint a probable or a plausible scenario. Does that make sure. sense? So I think what I want to do a little bit is like let's, let's create some plausibility to this because I think when we talk in terms like Babylon, I think everybody assumes everybody in Babylon was, you know, eating their own children kind of thing. I don't know that it's as, it's as simple as that and scholarship as we've both kind of harped on at different points in the podcast have these unique ways of taking little tidbits of information and making it much bigger. So let's start there and let's just open up the can of worms and let's see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. I think what you're getting at is like their uh,
1: culture can be generalized, but there's always counterculture. And I mean, you even look at our, our country, like what are Americans known for? You go to other countries like, oh, Americans are allowed and obnoxious. And a lot of Americans, especially when they travel, are allowed and obnoxious. But not everyone is. But you can still – it's still true that generally, mm-hmm. yes, that's how Americans are. And so that's kind of kind of what we'll aim for is
0: – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. Think, I think the point I was making is a little – yeah, you're right on it, is we can use a word like Babylon to describe the beginning of Hollywood. That doesn't mean everybody that was involved in that was actually doing what that movie suggests on top of that – It doesn't actually mean that everybody in America subscribes to that. So I have people all over the world that I've met who are like, "Oh my goodness, it's really terrible there." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And then they try to describe the life that they've seen us, and I'm like, "Oh no, 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 that's freeport." (laughs) But I'm like, "That's from a movie. It's not actually the way it is here. We have a lot of God fearing people who love the Lord and love their country and are trying to figure out how to make make ends meet and work through it. But yet the the image, you know, like blaring image of America to the rest of the world is. This needs to be taken down and destroyed. That's why things like 9-11 happen and other things. You know, there's this there's this mentality of, of what it is, and it's not really true. In the same way, Babylon, you know, is rightly painted as an archetype in the Bible, but it doesn't necessarily paint the picture as smoothly as we'd like it to. So with that said, you know, and this this—you know, I didn't prep you for this question, but from your perspective— with what information you have just in your head what do you think babylon was like in that time frame yeah so
1: babylon just the couple things we know we know it's a monarchy we know it's mm-hmm. an ancient near eastern civilization we know it's polytheistic um you know you, you think of things that you talk about in any school not just schools that are biblically minded you have things like the ishtar gate yep and the hanging gardens um, Although by this time the Hanging Gardens probably aren't there anymore, right? I think but, that
0: at the time that we're going to be talking about the Hanging Gardens would be in construction. Oh, they were Nebuchadnezzar's, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, So he would have been the king. But yeah, like, yeah. But but if you imagine that, yeah, I mean these are works of art, wonders of the world. Yeah, big big opulent.
1: civilization, lots of money, lots of lots of wealth. Uh, it's an ancient Near Eastern culture. We would say A sometimes is, is the term. Um, but there's idol worship. And from what we see in scripture, um, you know, very polytheistic and and the types of worship were what we would see as as fairly evil. You have, mm-hmm. even in scripture, you have Daniel and his friends who are killed for worshiping other gods at different points. And so things like sacrifices or putting people to death, capital punishment for not worshiping in their way, not worshiping their gods would not have been uncommon. So yeah. So a pretty, pretty rough place to be in, especially if you were a follower of Yahweh, you wouldn't want to be there. So yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you think? I think, Chris? That's, I think that's
0: a great open. And I think, so one of the things that I like to think about in this time frame is just the, the political unease that would exist, uh, So at the time of of Habakkuk, you know, Babylon had just defeated Assyria. So I think everybody, a lot of us know about Nineveh because maybe it's the Jonah story or we've heard it mentioned in a sermon somewhere or maybe we've heard somebody say, you know, the Samaritans had some type of Assyrian connection. We don't really know what any of that means. We just know that Assyria was this really powerful nation, you know, 722 BC is when they, they destroyed Israel. But now as we're moving into the what would that be the 6th century BC so 5 okay. the 500s would be the 6th century BC you know 599 somewhere in there there there's this marching of babylon coming down and the reason why babylon is powerful is they've destroyed the assyrians but they're not going to last as long as you'd think like i think some mm-hmm. people think babylon was the, the power forever this isn't the same nation that built the tower of babel You know, that Mm -hmm. that nation had long gone and disappeared. At this point, this is sort of like the reemergence of Babylon. It's the second iteration, if you will.
1: Yeah, because if I can get in there, one thing
0: I think that's interesting is like
1: nations and powers rise and fall. But that doesn't mean like every person, a part of that nation was just like wiped out, right? Right. Like Rome fell at some point, but we still have modern day Rome. People still live there. Totally. And there's, you know, there's a difference there between the governmental system and the individuals who live there, which I think is what you're trying to get at with, with our discussion is that, um, you know, there's individuals and then there's the political organization around that. Yeah. So political organization, you know, we, we even read things like, um, who's the guy who saw the writing on the wall? Belshazzar. Yep. Yeah. Belshazzar. Yeah. Like terrible, terrible dudes. Doesn't mean everybody in the kingdom was like that. And when Babylon is wiped out, the multiple times it has been, it's not like every single person in Babylon was like erased off the map sure. and it sat vacant land for you know a period of time. Yeah. So, so kind of this reemergence is those people coming back into, back into power, back into independence.
0: Totally. I, I, that's exactly what I'm aiming for. And if you think about just the average person who wakes up in Babylon on a Tuesday. You know, that wouldn't be the day that they would use it. But, yeah. you know, if you just imagine waking up on a Tuesday, the thing you're most worried about is, how am I going to feed my family today? How am I yes. going to get water? You know, is my shop going to survive? Or is my farm going to make it, you know, is my irrigation system working? Is that deer going to come back and eat that, you know, that yeah. row of corn or whatever? So I think most people in most parts of the world – aren't exactly what we think their nation is. Right. So if I say Haiti, I think everybody thinks it's, you know, just a barren wasteland of civil war. Okay. Yeah. in Port-au-Prince, not a great place to be. There's lots of gangs fighting, but even in Port-au-Prince, there's people that aren't involved in gangs or, you know, just like yeah. in America, I think, like I said, everybody sort of pictures us as something, but most of us aren't what, what the world thinks of America. You know, I don't have a lot of money. I don't really care about a lot of money uh you know when i was when i went to Haiti the first time they're like do you have two TVs in your house i'm like yes we do actually have two TVs and i'm like cuz we just bought the other one the other day because we uh you know i got a i got a birthday gift and it was enough money that i could put half of that plus half of my money toward that you know but they just yeah. think like you're so wealthy and it's like no i i get by like i'm able to do this so in babylon like the typical person was doing this where we get like lost in details here is those people would would be worshiping some god, and so you might imagine if you were waking up in in the you know the capital of Babylon, which ironically you know Abram was from Ur of the Chaldeans, which would be that's a that, that word Chaldean is is really a synonym for Babylon, and so Babylon is like the city, Chaldea is the the nation or the you know the representative culture that would be surrounding it. So if you woke up in Babylon that morning, you know, you're doing your thing, but you're you're likely going to go worship and there's going to be temples all over the place, some are going to be dedicated to this god or this god or this god. But then there's this this powerful priestly class, right, who has lots of money, lots of in, you know, influence and they are collecting from the people who are wanting to worship and they build themselves into something amazing. And then above them are going to be some type of government officials. Some of them are going to be just basic administrators, you know, think IRS or, mm-hmm. you know, post office type people all the way up to, you know, the actual rulers of the areas, the, the governors, you know, the, you know, all the words that are used in the Bible, the satraps. And, uh, you know, th- if you think about these, these regions that are run by these folks, then you've got the ruler, as you mentioned, it's a monarchy. So you've got a king. In this case, it's going to be Nebuchadnezzar, who is the son of the king who kind of brought Babylon back to power. And Nebuchadnezzar, becomes one of the great rulers of the ancient world, and he's a very good administrator, he's a very wise man, and he does a good job of building laws and, and keeping them, putting the right people in the court systems that are... Uh, going to make wise decisions. And then he also does a great job of, of managing govern government by sending people he trusts to other parts of the world to manage that part of the government. Mm-hmm. So when they conquer Israel, for example, they don't cart every single Israelite off into Babylon. What they actually do is they let Israel, or Judah in this case, keep their their systems in place so the government didn't really fall. They just paid all their government taxes now to Babylon. So instead of a king in Israel that's going to receive the taxes, now it's going to all just go back to Babylon, and then Babylon's going to dish it back to them to manage it in some way. But the person who's actually running that as a governor would be a Babylonian official, whether it's from Babylon or from Assyria or one of these other nations who have giving themselves the allegiance to the king, and they're like, I'm following you. I'm doing your thing.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really similar to what we might be for, more familiar with as we study the Bible with Rome. Rome did the same yep, thing, totally. you know, and that's who Herod is. Herod is this kind of like half-Jew, half—what yeah, is he? The word is I-median. A- I- yeah, I-median. Yep, yep. I was going to say Judean, but he's not. Anyway, he's this, he's this guy, and strategically put there because he can kind of walk in both worlds— yep. And so a similar thing has happened. Babylon does it a little bit differently. They export a lot more people than I think ever the Greeks or the Romans did. Right. But they take guys like Daniel because he's young, handsome, and smart. They take guys yep. like Shadrach,
0: Meshach, and Abednego. Because they could read. They could write. Yeah. They, they have some basic knowledge of things, and they have some relation to the royal family. Right, right. So if they remove the royal family completely, then you're going to have no – you know, rebellion on your hands. Right, right. And I mean, and these guys, their real
1: names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right? And they yeah. give them new names because they're like, we're taking you. You are now Babylonian. We're going to use you for our purposes. Right. Yeah, that was kind of their strategy. Um, yeah. Yeah, but there, yeah, so there's all this history and culture in there. You know, this is this is a place of... Hammurabi, this is the mm-hmm. the place of him and his codes, but it's not his kingdom. It, the, his kingdom has, was long gone by the sure. time he gets, so you get, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar with
0: the Ishtar gates, right? He, Yeah, he yep. he put those gates in there, so yeah. Which, it, which are, if you've never seen them, I mean, I've not seen them in person, but I've seen pictures of them. They are just big, beautiful, golden, be, like painted blue and gold i mean they're just gorgeous they're not there anymore though no they're in britain i I think they're in the british museum
1: if i (laughs) of course why wouldn't they be
0: (laughs) oh man we we don't uh, have time in the podcast to talk about britain there's
1: (laughs) that joke that's going around now like what's the least british thing in britain the british museum (laughs) um, i'm listening to an interesting podcast called stuff the british stole about basically about that kind of thing anyway um yeah yeah so where were we um
0: we're just talking about average people, like average yeah. folks growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm there, looking for where the gate is, but yeah, like yeah, the primary concern of an average person is is how to make their wage. Now, some of them would have been made wages as political figures or as religious figures, because you remember it's polytheistic society, and so there are a great number of local religious priests. Um, who assist in the worship of the many gods. And so you would have had a lot of those people and a lot of a lot of average ordinary people would not have like attended church or synagogue or something like that, but would have done some for some form of regular worship whatever that included whether it was giving money or giving food or or working for these different places. This this would have been in their life. But at this moment too, they are super powerful. So they're definitely feeling secure because they just took out the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, those, actually Assyria was a pretty small nation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't huge like Babylon was. And and part of Assyria's tactic was they, they were kind of like the reign of terror because they knew they couldn't fight big, long wars the same way Babylon did. They couldn't travel really far. So they would just, they would terrorize the places closest to them and then threaten the places a little bit farther away. And in their threats, they would say, We're gonna do to you like we did to them, unless you give us money. And a lot of a lot of smaller nations just said, Sure, here here's the money. Yeah. We'll do what you want.
0: Yeah. So if you can imagine, I mean, you're growing up in the the land that is probably the the wealthiest nation in the world at the time. You might be, you know, stunned a little bit about what has happened in the last 50 years. Your grandfather might be telling stories of, we used to follow the Assyrians, but now we're in charge and we're running the show, you know, or whatever. But the average person wouldn't be decked out in all this. Now, with that said, I think part of what we were brought up in the beginning of this is how bad really was Babylon. With that said, it it is, and it was reconstructed in Berlin, by the way, so I, I misspoke. Uh. Yeah, uh, the Pergamon. Uh, another another group that never took anything from anybody, and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is Berlin. the—
1: It's as <laughs> it's, a, it's a part of the. I'm reading here. Part of the gate is on public display. Part is kept in storage. But yep. that's the actual gate. That's it's kind of neat that yeah. it's still.
0: Yeah, it was reconstructed in 1930. Nothing hap, was happening in in n- Berlin around that time. Nothing. Uh, there, there
1: were no <laughs> failed art students going and stealing art.
0: Oh, we digress. So, but the idea, if you think about it, just like in an average person uh is is living in this nation, and the acts of worship toward these gods, you know, uh specifically Marduk was was the god that that Nebuchadnezzar rebuilt the temple when he took over, Th- there is some pretty shady stuff going on, right? There's there's some I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. If you can imagine, there's interesting relations that occur around the temple. There are things being offered up in sacrifice, different animals, different... Sometimes, you know, I don't think they, they did human sacrifice, but you got to think of the idea of they didn't care about humanity that much because they everybody was a means to an end. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, you know, part of what Habakkuk is freaking out about is saying, well, they are really ruthless well, yeah, because human life doesn't matter to them. The God that they serve, does you know, wants submission and wants power. They don't that that God doesn't want love, you know, and peace and joy, like Yahweh does. So, they would move into a nation, and like you said, they would they would pluck out the top echelon of you know the, the upper crust of the society. They would pull them out. They would crush the people who were trying to rebel at the beginning, and just sort of push down the rebellion, or like you said, they would get nations to just pay them and bow to them. So they're just, they're just running, you know, what is it, rip shot over everybody. Like they're just going nuts, taking over the whole region. And ultimately they do take over Mesopotamia, every part of the region from, you know, uh, where the, the Tigris and Euphrates go into the sea, all the way over to Israel, and then even down into Egypt. And then what, But what happens is they allow you to still worship your God. They just want you to worship their gods too. That's part of what Nebuchadnezzar is doing with the big statue. That's part of what Nebuchadnezzar's is doing with, you know, I'm going to throw you in the fire if you don't do what I'm asking you to do. So there's all these little moments like that. But what came out of their system is the Babylonians were amazing at education. So they had these schools set up that every single kid went to school at a certain point. So if you're thinking about this and you're going, oh, this is why I have to go to school today. Yeah. I mean, we, in some sense, we have held on to this Babylonian idea of train the kids early into your culture, guide them, lead them, make them become like you. So teach them mathematics, teach them arithmetic, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, guide them in that. And the Babylonians were famous for having really sophisticated mathematics. They developed calculus and a couple other things. It wasn't called calculus until much, much later. But all of the basics of trigonometry and some of those things were developed by these guys. They watched the stars, which is part of where we think the magi came from. Mm-hmm. So even at this point in time, you know, late, you know, between 650 B.C. and 600 B.C. Remember, you got to go backwards there because you're counting down to zero. Uh, d- during that time, this is what's going on in this area. They are, they are fully in charge. They are... Technologically advanced, they are mathematically advanced, and they are they are the nation to be a part of, and everybody would would bow to them, freak out to them. But they also have just really disgusting worship practices and a disgusting mentality toward human life. Yeah, and I think that's one of
1: the biggest um, evils that Habakkuk points out is that they do all of these things and do all of these conquering and all their violence and then they give praise to their false gods because of yep. it and he he uses the term nets like they they catch fish and then they worship the nets that caught the fish which is is both wrong like don't worship the wrong god but culturally and conceptually like, this, this would blow the Israelites away because not only are they just worshiping false gods, but they are winning and gaining things and then worshiping the tools that they have made to gain those things instead of, you know, modern day, a lot of people worship humanity. Like, this person is so great uh, or, you know, we we worship human systems, uh, humanism, the Humanity is the chief being in our universe, but these guys are worshiping the tools that they have made to conquer. They're worshiping the net that caught the fish. They're worshiping their their weapons that conquered other people. They're worshiping their money that has allowed them to do all mm-hmm. these things. So conceptually, that... That's kind of the the evil of the evils. Sure, they do a lot of other like injustices, too. Mm-hmm. But in all those injustices, they're then worshiping the tools that they use to do those injustice, injustices. That's, I think, a big push of Habakkuk's problem with
0: Babylon. Which is why they're the archetype for evil right. in the Bible. Because they're the archetype of evil, first, because they are the culprits of building the Tower of Babel and rebelling against God's command to go forth and multiply. Then they become the, the ones who capture Israel and pull them into this net, so to speak, and create this space. And Israel is thinking, how in the world could God let these evil people take us over? We're supposed to be your nation, God. We're supposed to be doing your thing. And then they become the epitome of evil at the end of the book of Revelation. Yeah. Partly because of what you're describing, the worshiping of other gods, but then also partly because they're pursuing power, might, and they want everyone to bow to them, whereas Yahweh is saying, yeah, bow to me, but then I want you to go serve the world and, and and serve them well.
1: Yeah, and they're like the
0: biggest of this, too,
1: because Egypt in a way becomes an archetype. They're involved at the beginning, but doesn't become the power that Babylon becomes. Um, Assyria never – it wasn't really lo- around long enough, mm-hmm. but even Canaan be- – or yeah, the land of Canaan becomes kind of an archetype, but only briefly, mm-hmm. not the same way. Babylon does. Babylon, we see it in the book of Revelation, like Babylon representing evil and evil city
0: still around. Yep. Yeah, and the archetype in, in the book of Revelation, that, that mention of Babylon, some have said, you know, it's got to be Rome, which is why some people have tried to make the case that you know this is going to be a resurgence of of the papacy or rome itself uh something unique let's let's be careful with with making wild speculations that may or may not ever happen the idea is when you see a kingdom rising to the surface that cares little for human life is pushing everybody down is chasing after pleasure and their own wants because you know i mentioned marduk but ishtar is the goddess of love and fertility yeah so the reason why that gate was made was to enter you into the city, so you could you could prepare yourself to worship Ishtar, or worship Marduk, or worship Adad, which would be another god, the goddess of of um, the storm or or the weather, which would be you know parallel to Baal. The idea is there's a lot that you can worship that are going to give you power and might and authority in Babylon. Which brings me back to the opening of the podcast. This is why that word has been used and. In in the movie seems to be mocking the fact that Hollywood calls itself Babylon, even though it doesn't really have any nation or or any walls or anything like that. It's something different. It's a symbol. And I think some have said, why in the world would they make this movie if it's really just a, a shot at Hollywood itself? And I think some have suggested, no, this is the beginning of the end of Hollywood, but there's something else coming down the road. Maybe just everyone needs to chill. But in the middle of this, what i the reason why we're bringing all this up and talking about this is Babylon was bad, and that's why the Israelites were were afraid of, of them and afraid of what this meant from God. What God uses Babylon for is something absolutely beautiful. And even at the end of time, if if Revelation plays out the way that you know, at least I think it's going to play out, Babylon is just going to highlight how evil the world is, and it's going to point us to something better, which is ultimately what God provides.
1: Yep, that's right.